working? Yeah, it seems to be working just fine. There we go. Um, just have to give you uh, a little bit of a... This, this last week I've been reading, you know, I read through my Bible, I just read through, um, I don't have a set plan, you might say, I just start in Genesis, and I read through to Revelation, and as soon as I'm done with Revelation, I start with Genesis again, and I just keep reading through, and that's what I've been doing for years, that's what my dad did, uh, later on in his life he started breaking it up, but that's just how I do it, and, and it's interesting how that sometimes of the year I'll come across something in my Bible reading early in the week that helps me with what I'm working on in my sermon. And this week, uh, I came across something and it just clicked with what we were looking at here. So we're at Matthew chapter 23. We're looking at verses 27 and 28. And I know we could do a little bit more than that, but I, I like slowing down because I want to bring you into this, what is going on here with Jesus and with the disciples, with the Pharisees and the scribes, the whole situation here. So Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28, it says this, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, uh, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanliness. Ever, even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within are full of hypocrisies and iniquity. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father God, thank you so much just for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for allowing us to sing praises to your name, uh, praises about the old story that we heard, uh, and, and it changed our lives, Lord. And, and we've seen how it's changed our lives, and we want it to change other people's lives. We want it to to work in them. Uh, Lord, I pray you would give us a gumption uh, to spread the word, to, to tell this old, old story. I pray you would help us today as we look at your word, that we would be renewed, that we would be uh, encouraged. And I pray that if someone is watching that doesn't know you as their Savior, uh, I pray that today would be the day that they turn from death to life, that they turn from uh, darkness to light, that they turn from iniquity to righteousness. Uh, I pray you would just help us to understand this a little bit better and, and just guide and direct us. Lord, if there's somebody that's on their way, I pray that you just keep them safe coming in. Uh, and I just pray you would uh, just be with all those that can't be with us today. Uh, just help them to know that they're loved and they're missed. Uh, we love you and praise you. We're looking forward to seeing you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, as you as I normally do, I like to take us back and try to remind us of what has been going on uh, coming up to this passage, because I think it's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to jump in and look at just the words of the text, which is important. But if we don't get the context of the text, then you can get it out of context. So um, I, I titled this one, Beware of Those uh, Who Make Death Look Good. Uh, beware of those who make death look good. And, and I think that's applicable. Is that the right word? It, there's application to what's going on in the news right now. Uh, whether you're looking at just the, the news going on in Israel, whether you're looking at what's going on on the campuses and what they're teaching uh, on campuses, uh, whether you're looking at the business world, wherever you look, Satan is trying to make death 
look good. He is trying to sell us on death. And if we'll keep that in mind, this will help us as we take a look back and then as we look at this. But a look back of what Christ has been doing. If you'll remember, he's been gathering crowds all his life. You might even say, remember back, uh, we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. It's coming up. I know the kids are excited about this. They're making their lists. They're checking them twice, trying to figure out what's good and what's not. And Mom, I want this. And so, but we celebrate Christmas and we're thinking, what, what do we want for Christmas? Well, we should be remembering who came. Uh, we're celebrating the birth of Christ. He had crowds come to him at the birth of Christ. We're already starting to read through our Advent stories because we're going to miss a whole section because of vacation time and whatnot. But uh, we're, we're looking towards what Christ is, or we're looking back at what Christ has done. When he came, people were attracted to him. And then if you'll remember when he was 12 years old, people were attracted to him. He was sitting in the temple and he was asking questions and he was giving answers and they were astounded at him and they were drawn to him and they were taking note of him. And then a little bit later he comes and John points him out. He says, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And just a few people started following him. You know, Andrew, Peter, James, John, uh, Thomas. Mm, I've forgotten Thomas's brother's name. Anyways, uh, you had the whole group there that just start following him. And he goes up to people and says, you know, to Matthew, uh, you know, come and follow me. And what does he do? He leaves the table of customs, the Zolomt. The, don't you wish some Zolomt people would leave what they're doing and come follow Christ now? Uh, anyways, uh, we'll not go there. But people just start following him. You've got Mary. You've got Martha. You've got uh, Mary out of whom seven demons was cast. You've got all these people that are starting to follow. And the Pharisees and scribes are starting to take note of this, that they're not listening to us anymore. They're listening to him. Uh, you've got Christ going and feeding the 5,000 and people start following him. And what does he tell them? He says, you're following me now, not because you believe in what I'm saying. You're following me because you want to be fed and you're unrighteous. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You've got to partake of me to have everlasting life. And they didn't understand it, and so they went away. But then they come back again, and they just, it's, they're struggling with it because he's not who they thought he was, but he's starting to preach about the kingdom of God. And it's something totally different than what they're thinking it's going to be. They're thinking it's going to be right now, right here on this earth, and he says, not so much. It's, it's to come later, and it's both heavenly and earthly. It's something that you don't understand yet. And, and so he gives the parables. If you remember just a few verses earlier, he gave the parables about the wedding and the unfaithful servants. And he's, he's telling about judgment that it's to come if you don't turn. And, and he's starting to bring them into this, this section where he starts to give the woes these eight different woes that correspond to the blessings that he gave in Matthew chapter 5 uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, where he gave those five blessings. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that uh, seek after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And, and corresponding to those, you've got all these 
Woe unto you. And, and we've gone through several of them. What was the one from last week? Uh, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, because you wash out the cups on the outside, but on the inside it's full of vile stuff. And then this week he says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, outwardly you're like a whited wall or like a, a sepulcher. Inward, there's dead men's bones. And, and so what is he getting at here? Well, something that I, I, I want us to remember just a little bit before. What happened about a, a few weeks before? In John chapter 11, what happened in John chapter 11? Does anybody remember? In John chapter 11, Mary and Martha send word to Jesus. They say, our brother is sick. Lazarus is sick. You need to come and heal him. And Jesus says, it'll be okay. We'll just let it go for now. Now, moms, if your kid is sick, what happens? You start to get a little bit panicky. I mean, honestly, your kids start screaming through the night. They can't talk because, I mean, yeah, Addie and Robert can, but, you know, if Kyler is screaming all night long, what is going on? What is hurting? And, and as a mom, you're like, let's take care of this and, and do something about it. Well, here you've got Mary and Martha, and their brother is sick. Jesus, you've got to come and do something now. Jesus says, just hold off. Just wait. Do you know how much that must have hurt? Do you know how much that must have just frustrated them to death? They love Jesus, but they are frustrated with him. And frustrated so much to the, the, the point where when, I, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but Martha goes out to see him, and Mary doesn't. Maybe I've got him backwards. Maybe it's Mary that goes out to see him and Martha doesn't. Anyways, one of them just stays at home. She doesn't go. Why? Do you think maybe she was mad? Do you think maybe she was upset that Jesus didn't take care of the problem? He could have come. It was only four days that if he would have come a few days earlier, half a week earlier, if he would have left when he got word, maybe... Lazarus wouldn't have died because they say that to him. If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, what to them? He says in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. If he wouldn't have done what he did, we wouldn't have these words. These are words that every time a funeral is maybe not every time, but generally, at a funeral, these things are read. This is a verse that we remind ourselves of. He is the resurrection and the life. And what happened? Jesus walks on in, and, and he looks at this grave that maybe they hadn't painted white yet, but it was a grave, and, and what is, I think it was Martha that said at this time, don't open that. He stinks. He stinketh in the King James Version. And, and he's like, don't worry about it. Uh, he has already wept with them. I mean, guys, help me out on this. Why cry if you know you're going to fix the problem in five minutes? I mean, why cry about it? You know, have you ever heard the saying, 
Why cry over spilt milk? Don't cry over spilt milk. Yeah, you know, that's us guys. Yeah, okay, can't do anything about it. Well, you're getting ready to do something about it. You're going to take care of the problem. But yet he sits down with these ladies and weeps with them. Weeps? Is that the right wording? Uh, he wept with them. Uh, why? Because death is painful all the time. And, and he goes in, though, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, if you go on into chapter 12 of John chapter 12, what happens? John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, you've got Mary coming to Jesus. You know, and they're, they're in the house. Mary comes in. She's got this pound of spikenard, very costly, the Bible sells, and she anoints the feet of Jesus with the hair of her and wipes his feet with the hair of her head. Now, I'm gonna just going to ask ladies real quick. If you get a smell in your hair, how long does it take to get that potent smell out? Anyone here have a... What do you have to do to get it out? Elizabeth, can you help me here? What do you have to do? I mean, you've got the longest hair here. Can you help with that? What do you have to do? You've got to wash your hair, right, to get that, especially if it's smoke. I mean, we got behind somebody earlier this week. We were just walking along, and there's just the smoke is in our face, and it's like, oh, yuck. I could smell it in Daylene's hair a little bit later on. It was just, oh, you got to wash your hair to get the smoke smell out of your hair. Well, Mary had this smell of this ointment in her hair, Jesus' feet had been anointed, and where are they now? This has happened probably a week before, maybe not even a week before this very event happened. So where do you think Lazarus was? Do you think he was home chilling because, you know, I was kind of sick? No, he was at the temple. I, I, I almost guarantee you, he was at the temple the Bible even tells us that the scribes and the Pharisees wanted to put him to death because everybody was following Jesus because they saw Lazarus. Lazarus was just sitting there. And, and so when Jesus brings up your whited walls, he's got Lazarus contrasting there. And where were they sitting? Well, I assume just by reading the context of this, that they were in the court of Gentiles where anybody could come. He was teaching in the court, it, it indicates. And, and if he's teaching in the court, then the women could be there. And I imagine that Mary was somewhere there around. She probably wasn't at home cooking because that wasn't her gift. She was probably sitting at the feet of Jesus again. And if she was at the feet of Jesus, what did everybody smell? They smelled the odor of the ointment. And they're there in the temple. And, and so try to get this picture in your mind. And he's looking at the Pharisees and the scribes, and he's saying, you are whited walls. You look good on the outside, but inside is full of, what does it say down there? Hypocrisy and iniquity. What's the word iniquity mean? Iniquity means lawlessness. What is hypocrisy? Well, hypocrisy was... Uh, it's a mask that you put on. It's like in a, you're in a play. And, and in a play, it's fine. You know, you put on one mask and, and you're the villain and you take it off and you put on the other mask, you're the hero. And you can go back and forth and you can play two different parts. You can play three or four different parts. That's what they were doing. They were playing different parts. They wanted people to think that they were righteous, but inside they were wicked. So he says that 
you're like a sepulcher. What's a sepulcher look like? Well, it's this box, this tomb, this... They would make a box of stones, if you will. And, and to make it where people wouldn't accidentally touch it, what would they do? Well, they would take this lye mixture, this what we call whitewash, and they would go over it. And, and there were two purposes for the lye, for this whitewash stuff. It was one, like a disinfectant. Um, that lye would help keep germs from spreading. Uh, they use it even to this day in milk barns. Uh, I was watching one of my farming videos of a farmer in Wisconsin, and they painted the inside of their milk barn white. They whitewashed it, and it keeps bacteria from spreading. Uh, it's one of the ways that they help keep things clean, is they know where everything is. Well, that's the same same principle. They did this here in Jerusalem or around Jerusalem. And in fact, upon one of the, the hills where they would bury people, where they were expecting the Messiah to come, the Messiah to come back on, they had people would be buried there and they would paint it all white. And so as you come into the city, you would see these white boxes, these white stones. You would see different white areas knowing there's somebody there. It was to help keep from spreading the, the disease, but it was also to help people know there are dead bones here. It's unclean. Do not touch this. Because why? Well, if you touch it, Numbers chapter uh, 19, verse 11, it tells us this. Uh, he that touches the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. Now, my question was this. If you touch the sepulcher, but you're not touching the bones, are you unclean? Well, a strict interpretation of the law, no, you're not unclean. But what had the scribes and the Pharisees done all along? They had taken and added to the law and added two things to make it look like they were more spiritual than the rest. We talked about this a little bit last week, how that making the outside look good so that everybody thought you did everything right because you wash your dishes the way they wash the things in the temple. Well, it's got to be better than the way you do it in the Czech Republic. I mean, we do it better here in Germany. Uh, you know, that's just how they were, you know. And do you see how that causes strife? You know, we do it better in America than what the Europeans do. Do you see how wicked that was? How much strife that brought in? Uh, it, it just was silly. But we do it all the time. They, they would do it back then. We are of Paul. Well, we are of Paulus. Do you see this type of judgment and strife? It brings in, and Christ just had had enough of it, it, it appears. And he says, you're full of dead man's bones. These things don't matter. Uh, they had taken the lawns. If you touch the sepulcher, if you touch that one, you're unclean seven days. You've got to wash. You've got to do all this stuff. You cannot come into the temple, which what had they done in the temple? They had pushed the court of Gentiles almost completely out, so that a person that was unclean could not get close, and only those people that could go through the washing ceremony could get close. And, and so they had taken and twisted everything. And, and 
we see that in doing so, it appeared on the outside to be more righteous. They appeared on the outside to be better than everybody else. But inside, what was going on? They were hypocrites. They, they didn't have... Why were they hypocrites? Because they loved the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. What happens when you love the letter of the law more than you love the spirit of the law? You start turning the law into your God. And if you turn the law into your God, what have you just done? You've broken the law. The Bible says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so you take the very law that God has given, this good, right thing, when it's used appropriately, you take this good thing that God has given, and you turn it into something that's wicked. Because you're trying to keep, and you've set it above what God has said it should be set above. Does that make sense? And, and so you've taken the, the letter of the law, and you've turned it into your God. And first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 tells us this. It says, um, Who also maketh us um, able ministers of a New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. When you focus in on the letter of the law and try to hold to the letter of the law, it's going to bring death. Because who can keep the law 100%? Can any of us? I mean, we can't. You know, think about it. Um, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. The Bible tells us in the law, honor your father and mother, that thy days may be long, uh, and that thou mightest live long upon the earth. How many of us have always, in every situation, honored our parents? You might say, I did. Well, goody for you. Goody for you. I was not so good as you. I mean, there were times that I would steal cookies out of the cookie jar that my mom had. I still remember you know, there was that yellow one with the clear lid. I hated that one because you could look in and you could see what was in there. I mean, it was just... Like it was saying, eat me, eat me. So my mom got a different one. And she got a, a strawberry-looking one that you couldn't see. And it was like saying, there's probably something in there, a million bucks or something. So you'd have to open it up. And if you're opening it, well, I'll take one anyways. You know, I was always stealing stuff from the kitchen. Uh, and you might say, well, that's not done much. But if my mom told me not to do it, and I did it anyways, what is that? It's dishonoring my mom. And you might say, well, I wasn't as bad as you. Well, good for you. Uh, good for you. But every time that your parents told you to clean up your room, did you clean up your room? Mm. Some of you probably did. Some of you probably didn't even need to be told to clean up your room. It was just clean anyways. You know, is that really honoring your parents to try to be so righteous that you keep everything clean when they can't keep the kitchen clean? I think that's dishonoring too. So... <laughs> I'm not helping. <laughs> but do you see the problem there? Okay, You might say, well, that wasn't my problem. Uh, do we ever covet things? Uh, you know, a Porsche going down the street, a degree, somebody else has a degree, or a position that they have, or it doesn't matter. Do we covet what other people have? And if we do, what have we done? We have taken and made that thing our God. And we've broken the first commandment already. And so, and James tells us if you've 
kept the whole law and offended in one point, you're guilty of it all. I mean, it, it, you cannot keep the law. The law is impossible to keep. And, and if you're trying to keep the law in your own righteousness, are you loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? No, you're working for yourself. So there you're breaking the law again. And so they didn't even realize how much they were breaking the law. Uh, they didn't even realize that in trying to keep the Sabbath and honor the Sabbath and separate from everything on the Sabbath, they weren't keeping it. What, what does the law tell us? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy unto the Lord. Okay? Well, who were they keeping it holy unto? Not unto the Lord. They were doing it for themselves to make them look good. So they were breaking the Sabbath by saying they were keeping the Sabbath. And you can use this logic all the way through. Uh, it's amazing when you start looking at the law and meditating on it that way, that God is the number one thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We do not do that. Therefore, that's the greatest command. We've broken the greatest command. We're guilty of death. And, and they wouldn't look at that. And so Christ is trying to help them understand this and bring them back and say, whoa, what does it mean when you say whoa? I don't know if anybody in here has ever driven horses or a cart or something. I used to, we had a pony cart and I would drive a pony with, and, and this pony that we had, a mean thing to drive the cart, you'd hook it up and it's trying to kick and trying to get away and we'd get it all set up and then we'd jump in the cart and start going and the pony didn't want to stop. And I mean, and if the cart got going too fast, well, it's going to tip over and it's going to hurt whoever's inside. And, and so what would you do? You'd grab the reins. Whoa! Slow down. Stop. Think about what you're doing. That's what Christ is trying to get him to do. Whoa! Unto you. Slow down. Stop. Consider what you're doing here. You're like whited walls. You're like sepulchers. You say that you're one thing. You say you're clean. You say you look right. But inside is what? It's dead man's bones. It probably helped them think back to the Valley of Bones prophesied. I'll get this one wrong because it's been too long since I... It's been a few weeks since I read through that one, but is it in Jeremiah where he talks about the dead man's bone? Is it Ezekiel? Yeah, you're right. Ezekiel and the, dead, the, the Valley of Bones in Ezekiel. Thank you. Uh, they had probably just worked through that as well. And they were, that would make some of them think about the dead man's bones. That we need life here. We need the Spirit. We don't need judgment. And so Christ is trying to bring them all. And they didn't even realize that in trying to keep the law, they were breaking the law because Christ even says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, what does He say? For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. He was over everything. If you're Lord of one day of the week, you're God. Uh, no more argument. Uh, we didn't, you don't need to argue about this. Was he God or not? He claimed to be God all through what he was doing. So as we look at that, and then you've got Christ up here. On the other hand, is both life and righteousness. You've got them sitting here, dressed up, looking religious, praying religiously, making people think that they are the religious ones, and yet in front of them, you've got Christ, who's sitting there. He's not dressed like they are. 
He's not praying like they are. He's not talking like they are. But he's got life and righteousness in him. And he would be pointing, I mean, I can just imagine pointing to Lazarus. You need life like him, not like this. Uh, Jesus had told them what they needed more than anything. They needed righteousness. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you've got Christ saying unto to them in, in John chapter 6, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth in me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. And so he's been telling them this all along, and you've got this clear contrast right there. Life and death, blessing and cursing. What does that remind you of? Deuteronomy chapter 30. We'll get to that in just a little bit, but what can we take away from this? Uh, we've spent quite a bit of time looking at this picture that he's got set right in front of them. You've got the Pharisees and scribes, which hypocrisy, you've got different faces on, and you've got iniquity, lawlessness. They aren't keeping the law because they're breaking it, saying that they're trying to keep it. And so what is Christ trying to get across to us? Well, it's not just enough to be religious. It's not just enough to say, I go to church. It's not just enough to say, I read my Bible. We've got to not just know the law. Knowing the law is not enough. Uh, Psalm chapter 1 tells us, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. What does it mean to delight in something? Um, this last week we had Kendall and Nate and Kyler here, and I found it just a joy when Kyler was on the floor, and he's rolling around, and he, he can't do much of anything. It was fun to just get down there with him and lay on the floor and be close to him and to see if you can get an expression out of his face. I delighted in him. I loved just being close to him. I loved being around him, even though he would spit up on you. I mean, uh, I think last week I came in and my suit had a little bit of spit up on it. If maybe you saw, maybe you didn't. But you know, that's just the way it goes when you've got a grandkid. You deal with those things and you love it uh, because you delight in them. Do we delight in the law of God? Do we love to spend time with it? Do we love to mull it over in our brains? Or do we like to know it so we can point it out to somebody else and say, you're not keeping it? That's not what the law is for. It's not so we can accuse somebody else of doing something wrong. We pay attention to the law of God so we can correct our own way. And we can think about, would this be a violation of the law here? And you meditate on it. You know, Would coveting for a Porsche be a violation of the law of God? Well, no, not really. because. And then you can, you know, well, yes, it is. Because the Bible says, thou shalt not covet. You know, and, and so if you meditate on the law of God, it will help and instruct you and draw you where you need to be. 
But it's to draw us to Christ. The law of God is to draw us to Christ so that we will be new creatures. We're not the old creatures that we were. We're supposed to be made new in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We need to be new in Christ. We need to, we need to be examining as... Is this an old way of life, or is this a new, something new that God is doing in me? Uh, one of the things that we have recognized, Daylene and I, we've recognized in our own life, because we grew up in church, it is hard to distinguish sometimes. What's that old way, and what's that new way? What, it, it, am I living in the new way, or am I living in the old way? Because, I mean, I don't remember a time when we didn't go to church. I don't remember a time when we didn't read our Bible at before we went to bed. I don't remember a time when, you know, it was never a question, Dad, Dad can we stay at home? You know, I'm kind of tired. I played Mario too late last night, and I just don't want to go to church today. It wasn't a question. My dad had come in, and it's time to go to church, and if I didn't get up, out of the bed, he would just throw me on the floor. And, and you might say, well, that was cruel. And it was the 70s. We had a lot of fun that way. It was the 80s. Uh, there was no Department of Child Services to come in and you're being cruel to your son. If anything, they would come in and say, you know, I think you need to spank him again. You know, that's just how it was there in, in Missouri. Uh, I think it's still on the books in Missouri. You are not just allowed, but you're required to discipline your children and make sure that they don't get into trouble. But are we following the law? Have, are we delighting ourselves in the law of God? Has it become part of us? Is it in our heart? Are we a new creature? That's the first thing. We have a clear difference between life and death in this passage. And are we making that distinction in our lives? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I've already called reference back to this, but it says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and, and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Now think about this. It, it's one thing to choose something for you and you alone. And, okay, I'm going to do what's right for my, myself. But do you realize what God is trying to get us to do here? He's wanting not just us, but everything after us. Um, I think it was Courtney and I were talking about this earlier this week. It might have been Kendall and I. Um, but we were talking about how that when Cain killed Abel, the way that it's worded in the Hebrew, it's the, the ground cries out about your brother's blood. And it's like he and all of his descendants are crying out. God is looking for that next generation. He is looking, He wants us to have that next generation that can praise Him. He wants us to multiply praise to Him. And if we choose life, that's what will happen. When we choose death, what happens? You don't praise God. Uh, choosing life leads to God being glorified. Choosing death... What does that lead to? Satan being happy. I, I don't know how else to put it. I know that's simplistic, 
Uh, and when you deal with children, you've got to make it really simple. I loved when the kids were small and I could take and say, Courtney, who are you making happy right now? Jesus or Satan? And I know it seems oversimplistic, but do we ask ourselves those questions? Who am I making happy right now? Am I making God happy? Well, if I'm not making God happy, then I'm making Satan happy. It's not, well, I can just kind of be in the middle. If you're in the middle, who are you making happy? Evan, answer that question. Can you answer? If we're right in the middle and we're neither hot nor cold, who are we making happy? Satan. Absolutely. We're making Satan happy. Do we want to make him happy? No. I hope you don't. I mean, if you do, we need to start churching some people right now. Yeah. But that it, life is that simple. And I think we live in a time where we have tried to make things so difficult because we're so afraid to point out right and wrong. We're, we're afraid to point out male and female. We're afraid to point out left and right. It's all on a spectrum. No, it's not. You have righteousness and you have death. That's it. You don't have righteousness and kind of righteousness. You have a straight way that leads to life and you have every other way that leads to death. What has Christ told us in John chapter 14, verse 6? I am, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Uh, I love the way that the German puts it, and I've pointed this out I don't know how many times, but ich bin der Weg, die Wahrheit und das Leben. I mean, all bestimmt articles. Uh, it's like he's saying, I am the only way, the only truth, and the only life. There's no other way. And, and yet our world likes to say, yeah, but that's too exclusive. That doesn't sound right. That just doesn't sound polite to say that you're the only way. That's arrogant to say that you're the only way. So get over it. <laughs> I mean, as a parent, you can say that to your kid. Yes, my way is the only way. You're going to do the dishes the way that I tell you to do them. You're going to clean the house the way I told you to clean them. Whose house do we live in? The earth is the footstool of God, right? We better do things the way he told us to do it. He has the right to demand it's his way. The last thing, Christ is, is calling everyone to choose life. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, it says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Here's, this is the context. Be willing to repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You realize God has already done, Christ has already done everything that's necessary so that we can just stop fighting him. So that we can just give up and he can catch us. And that's all that has to be done. He will catch us. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we will just stop fighting with him, he will catch us. How many of us, though, are Christians and we're like, God, you can have all of this, but not this. I'm guilty of that so much of the time and I don't even realize it. But if I would be willing to repent and say, okay, God, you can have that too. You can have that too. 
how much more pleasant would my life be? How much more less stress would I have in my life if I would just surrender and say, okay, God, it's all yours, all of it. I'm going to use every aspect of my life. And that very aspect that you might say, okay, I need to give that up. You realize oftentimes God will give that right back to you because it's not the thing that's the sin. It's the worshiping the thing that's the sin. Does that make sense? Uh, golf is not a sin, but if you love golf more than you love God, it is a sin. Does that make sense? So if we are willing to come back to Him, and, and I know that's... Why would God make it where we can come to Him? That doesn't make any sense, but that's the way that He's done it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door... I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Do you want to sup with him? Do you want to have a meal with him? Just let him in. Just stop and say, God, please, I want to know you better. He loves that. He wants to have time with us. Are you willing to have time with him? Are we choosing life or are we choosing death? Are we whited sepulchers or are we like Lazarus? We've got the spirit in us. And we've had new life breathed into us. Uh, let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Dear Father God, thank you so much for your love to us. Thank you for the way you just so graciously take care of us. Lord, I pray you would help us today as we uh, deal with this, this passage, as we meditate on it. I pray you would help us to, uh, to see those areas that maybe we were being hypocritical on. Uh, maybe we have iniquity in our lives and we just need to repent and turn back to you. Uh, Lord, I pray you would just give us the, um, the gumption, uh, give us the courage to repent, to admit that we're wrong. That's so difficult for us so much of the time, Lord. Uh, help us to be quick to repent. The, the longer we, we refrain from it, the harder it is to do. Um, we want to see you glorified. We want to see you lifted up. We love you and praise you. Just have your will and wait. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.